All right, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 today, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. In that black Bible, we're going to be on page 1007, 1007. And so let's stand as we read uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The author writes this. Verse 19, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Word of the Lord, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it guides us. It, 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 it gives us directions on, on how we should live in gospel community. We see here in Hebrews 10, as we see throughout the text, it begins with you, our ver- vertical relationship with you, and you have made that possible because you have died. You died on the cross for our sins and you rose again on the third day to give us access. And those that repent and trust in you now can have community with first and foremost you, our vertical relationship. And that spreads again horizontally to one another. Lord, thank you for this scripture that will guide us this morning. We also want to take time to pause and think about living in a Genesis 3 world, a fallen world, is, is difficult, is tough. We want to remember those in Texas where we just had another wicked shooting. Uh, uh, be with those families and, 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 and people there that have lost loved ones. Lord, may your church rally around them and may the love of Christ serve them. May they tangibly feel your love by the way your people lay down to support those that are grieving. We also think of the, the, the hurricane that's hitting the Bahamas right now. I think it's Hurricane Dorian, a Category 5, Lord. Well, as we looked at last week, Lord, there's going to be a lot of destruction. Homes are going to be destroyed. But we pray that many of those people have built their house on the rock, the rock of Christ Jesus spiritually, where the physical things may be taken away, but there's hope because their lives are built on the reality of Christ. So, Lord, be with those people. Let the church again rally around the world to go and serve and, and send necessary uh, means to help support and, 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 and take care of the, the so many needs that are going to happen. Again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for prayer that we can call to you and that you hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. So, as you know, uh, you guys blessed myself and my family with a sabbatical this summer. Got to take time off. And the Lord, the Lord brought a lot of things to uh, my attention. He impressed a lot of things on my heart, both personally, as I focus inwardly on my walk with the Lord, but also corporately. And, and one of those areas, he just reminded me of, again, the importance of community. How important community is to him and in his kingdom. 
which then is for us in the health of his church, how important community is. We spent about half our Sundays here at the Crossing, but we also spent about half our Sundays just visiting other Crossway Chapel um, churches um, around this region. And, and in this short time we were away from the Crossing, um, uh, our family began to feel a little isolated. Uh, we began to feel the, the pinch of like, hey, we really don't know what's going on at the Crossing. And, um, you know, we weren't in our usual rhythms. We weren't meeting regularly with many of you, like, but that was by design. That's what a sabbatical gum. So again, Sundays were about here half the time and gone. Life groups we kind of pulled away from and journey groups and just hanging, frankly, hanging out to, to rest and rejuvenate. That was all part of this sabbatical. And we felt the, we felt the loss. Again, we, we, we felt the impact on, and how it impacted our family. And it, and it was a good, it was good. Because here at the crossing, we have three, kind of three pillars. So, uh, we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's pillar number one. Our second one is we want to live in gospel community. Uh, we believe in scripture from their very beginning because God himself is in community as a triune God that, that this is a major thread throughout the scripture. So it was good that we felt the, the pinch, the isolation a little bit because it just reaffirmed that this is, this is important. And this is what I thought. I thought, man, if the pastor and his family can feel disconnected, just missing a couple Sundays and not going to life group, what about someone that's not as connected as we are? What, how, how are they going to experience this? And, and how quickly you can, we can feel alone. We can, we can feel isolated. We can feel, you know, we're on an island by ourselves. And, and maybe even start to think about, hey, no one really cares for us anymore. No one's calling and asking where we are. But... And if they do, or, or if we do walk in after a couple weeks, we, you might hear sarcastically hear, oh, oh, great to see you, Aaron, you know, right? Can anyone in here relate? Can anyone in here relate with that? So therefore, what I want to remind us this morning is what God reminded me of over the last uh, number of weeks that we had off on sabbatical is the importance of Christian community. That, that Christian community is a massive pillar in the Lord's plan of redemption. It is vital. Is vital for the health of his church as a whole, and in particular, us individually who make up his church. And this is what community is. Community is being involved with God's people in God's place, guided by God's special presence. And everyone that calls themselves a Christian, a disciple of Christ, one who has repented of their sins and trusted in him, must be involved in community, must be highly involved in a local church. It's a, it's a non-negotiable. So one of the best scriptures in the Bible is that of Hebrews chapter 10 that, that gives us and challenges us and encourages us about community. And so let's look at it together. And the first is uh, under the, 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 the context or the, the first uh, kind of pillar point is since we have, those three words, since we have, we see that in verse 19 and 21. These three words kind of give us anchor points on, on uh, what these two verses are about. Since we have. Real quick context, the book of Hebrews is, uh, is written to a small Jewish uh, church. Uh, they were planted probably about 30 or 40 years after Jesus' death. And the main theme in chapters 1 through 9 is that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. He's, he's greater than the old covenant. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the, the priestly line of Melchizedek. He's, he's greater than the sacrificial system. As defined in, in Hebrews 9 and 10, that Jesus is greater. That's the context. When we come to Hebrews chapter 10, all this doctrine, Jesus is greater. Now it's like, how do we practically live this out? And we see 
Therefore, in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. We see that there's a confidence that we should have, this author is saying, to enter the holy place. Now, the holy place was the the holy of holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. I'm going to have a picture of and describe this. It was a place where God's presence dwelt on earth with the children of Israel. And it was only once a year that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, the Day of Atonement, um, that he would offer his sacrifice for the forgiveness of his sins, but also the sins of the people. And if the high priest didn't go in there ceremonially cleansed, all these body washings, etc., he would be struck down dead. If he entered it any other day outside the Day of Atonement, he would be struck down dead. And if anyone other than the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, on the day of, outside the day of atonement at any time, they would be struck down dead. So for the Jewish believers to hear this first phrase, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, that would have been radical. It would have been, it just would have blown their minds. It's like no one goes into the holy place except for the high priest once a year. Certainly not me. So when they hear this phrase, they can say like, well, who's going to go first, right? Who's going to, who's going to try this out? And again, there's a massive shift going on from the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This physical temple that Jesus would see is the fulfillment of this. And so we see our first sense we have. We have have confidence again to enter the holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. You see, the confidence isn't in ourselves. Isn't in our own ability to enter. The confidence is in what Jesus has done for you and me. The confidence is that he shed his blood. He died on the cross so that we could now have access to God the Father. Fellowship, community. The substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf is what saves us, is what gives us access, relational access to God the Father through the new covenant, which is which is established by the shedding of Christ's blood. That's what we see in verse 20. By the new and living way, this is the new covenant, that he opened up through the curtain that is through his flesh. So here's this transition from the physical temple to the spiritual temple found in Jesus. We know that the curtain, the veil, was the thing that separated uh, God's presence, holy presence, from the world. And we're going to see um, with the tabernacle as we go through it that there was a bunch of barriers between even the Holy of Holies and the people and who could enter. Why? Because of sin. God was holy. He can't be around sin. So he put up these barriers so that he could dwell with his people physically on earth. But we know that when Jesus died on the cross, when his flesh was torn, Matthew 27 said the physical veil was torn from the top to the bottom giving us access to him. This was the Lord's doing because of his death. I want to I I share an illustration. We know this to be true, but I want to think I share an illustration I read this week that just really brought new light to it, just really kind of hit me in a, in a different way to explain this truth. <clears throat> in particular for the Jews, that would have heard it back in the writer of Hebrews' day, but then also how we should hear it. And what I want us to do is it says, let's go back 3,400 years. We're going back 3,400 years to, to Israel in the desert wandering. 
And um, we are a, a, the Moabite. There's a Moabite that's sitting on this cliff, which is us, the Gentiles. Anyone that's not Jewish is a Gentile. So this Moabite is looking down this huge valley and sees a nation of Israel there, camp there. There's about two million of them. And in the middle of this camp is this, this thing called the tabernacle. It's like a giant wall tent. And there's some smoke, there's a cloud, and this Moabite is like, man, this is weird. I've never seen this before, so I want to go down and... And I'm, and I'm curious, see what, what, what was this thing all about? So the Moabite, again, this is you and, and me in the story. He, he goes down and he gets down to the, to the temple, uh, to the tabernacle. And there's a temple, temple guard there. And so we have this tabernacle and, uh, the Moabite says, Hey, can I, can I go in there? Can I go in there to see what's going on? And the temple guard says, Well, you're sure if you're, you know, the child of, of Israel, a, a Jewish individual, if you're, that's your heritage. And he goes, well, no, I'm a Moabite. So, uh, can I go in? And he's like, well, well, no, sorry, you can't go in. No Moabite is allowed in this area, only Jews. And the Moabite says, oh, I wish I was born a Jew, then I could go in. And really, I wanted to show you. So, so this little area right here is like a big fence, but it's like a curtain. So that's what the Moabite sticks his head in. And all of a sudden, he sees like this area right here. And all of a sudden he says, well, he goes on, he says, well, the Moabite again peeks his head in and sees this man in different kinds of robes and he's doing some kind of religious sacrifice uh, out in here. And then all of a sudden this man with this new robe that he's looking at goes into this first curtain and he goes into this area right here and he, and he stepped back because he's not allowed in and he asks the temple guard, hey, who is that guy that was dressed up and did all that, that religious stuff? And the temple guard says, oh, that's one of the priests. And he's going into the area of the tabernacle where there's a lampstand, a table with bread on it. And he's going to there take care of the lampstand. He's going to eat some bread and offer some prayer. So now the priest is in here. And all the, the, the Jewish men would be in here. And they, they couldn't see what's going on in here. And so uh, the temple guard has kind of explained to him, like, there's, a, there's an altar of uh, incest here. Is the, uh, incest, incense. I've got to be careful with that one. Um, Right where he's lighting, there's the the lampstand where he's uh, the oil is light and he's and he's trimming the, the little things for the oil to go on. There's a showbread he's eating and he's, and he's praying. So there's the priest in here and no one can see him. And this is what the Moabite says: Oh, I wish I was born a Jew so I could be a priest to enter that area of the temple to see what it's like in there. And the temple guard goes, Oh, no, you couldn't. You must be not only born a Jew, but you almost be born of a certain tribe. You must be born of the the tribe of Levi and the house of Aaron to be a priest. And the and the Moabite goes, oh, I wish I was born a Jew, the tribe of Levi, and the house of Aaron, so I could go in there. And he sticks his head in there again. He asks another question. He goes, well, what else is in there? The temple guard says, well, there's another another curtain. There's another curtain right here. And this is the end of the, the Holy of Holies, where this curtain, again, separates a place called the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies, there's this box. It's, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where the Lord God's presence is here on earth, where he dwells with his people. And you can see that this is a big cloud, that big cloud that you saw from the, from the ridge. Um, that's, that's, that, that stands over basically the, the center of the, the Ark of the Covenant. Again, showing that this is God's presence with his people. And the Moabite goes, oh, I wish I was born a Jew of the tribe of Levi, the house of Aaron, so I could be a priest and go into the presence of the Lord. The temple guard said, oh, no, no, you wouldn't. Not only do you have to be a Jew, be born of the, the tribe of Levi and the house of Aaron, but not any priest can go in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And that Moabite said, oh, I wish I was born a Jew, a tribe of Levi, the house of Aaron, and the, and the high priest, and I would go inside to the Holy of Holies daily to worship. The temple guard said, oh, no, you wouldn't. 
You wouldn't go in there because you can, the high priest can go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. Finally, at this point, the Moabite hangs his head and walks away because he knows there's no hope for him to ever enter into the most holy place to fellowship with the Lord God. And this is, what, this is why 19 verses 19 and 20 is so incredible, so amazing. That since we have been washed by the blood of Jesus, we have access to the most intimate fellowship with the Lord possible. We have access, we have fellowship, we have communion with the Lord that only one high priest once a year had in the Old Covenant. But now because of Jesus, because of his sacrificial death, because the veil was torn, anyone who trusts in Christ by faith has access to God the Father. There are no more barriers. The barriers have been done away with by Jesus. This is incredible news. And it's just, can you feel the weight now that you go through the, the story of this Moabite looking at the temple? Especially for us as Gentiles. So that's the first sense we have. So we can have confidence to enter, to have communion, to be in community with God the Father personally at the most intimate level because of what Jesus has done for us. The second sense we have we see is in verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. And this is a, one of the three main kind of roles that Jesus plays in, in, in life. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. Jesus is still operating as our high priest today, operating by interceding with us with God the Father through prayers. But he fulfilled the priestly office here in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, where he offered himself up as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, once and for all. Hebrews 9, 26 says this, but as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, Jesus offered himself. He was the perfect sacrifice. And because he offered himself, that ended any more need for yearly sacrifices. That ended the barriers between God's presence and his people. You see, no longer does God the Father take any offerings of any kind to gain access to himself. Jesus, operating as the priestly role, offered himself and it was finished. Sin was dealt with. And now we can enter into God's presence through Christ. As I also told you guys last week, we had a lot of time off in the summertime, so me and my wife discovered Netflix and we were watching all these, yeah, watching all these shows that kind of dealt with the Middle East and, you know, the Danes and the Saxons, right? The Vikings and the in the English, and uh, just great, great shows. But one thing that just, just struck me is that the Saxons, the Christians, were, were living their life with God and, and access to God by what they did. They were trying to earn their favor, earn their merit, earn their salvation, that if they did this deed, that this, they would guarantee heaven, but if they failed at that deed, then they would get hell. And I'm like, man, it was a hopeless I mean, sitting there as, as a new covenant Christian and understanding that the, the veil has been torn through the blood of Christ and everyone has access. I wanted to scream at the TV, you know, it is finished, right? Stop living like that. Just open your Bibles and read Hebrews chapter 10. But that would have been weird because we, you know, I'm screaming at TV. It's just, you know, just a show. 
But I think you guys get the weight of that. No more need for any other sacrifice. Jesus, our high priest, his death was sufficient. And so these are the two kind of sense we have, what we call indicatives. These are things that are true, that have no bearing on our lives. This is what Christ has done for us. Therefore, that leads us to the next section of verses of 23, uh, 22 through 25. And these are now into our commands, and, 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 and they're, you want to circle and highlight the, these two words, let us. Let us. We see that in verse 22. We see let us in verse 23. And we see let us in 24. Again, these kind of show, uh, leave us anchors to, to follow through the author's uh, thought process here. And again, what Jesus has accomplished for us through his shed blood allows us to be confident to draw near to him with full access. And these verses give us some very practical ways on how to do that. Again, we see three let us guide our implementation of our confidence to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. First, in verse 22, it says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That we are to draw near with a, a true heart. Uh, another word in your Bible might say sincere or, or genuine. It's a, a pure heart. So, so how do you and I draw near with a true heart, a sincere heart, a genuine heart, to the Lord. What does that look like? And again, we're talking about now our vertical relationship with the Lord. And it always begins with Jesus. If we want to be in community with one another, we must be first in community with the Lord God, our vertical relationship. And one way, there are many ways, but let me just give you two. The first is we draw near with a true and genuine heart through our confession of sin. Through our confession of sin. You see, you and I don't have to hide like Adam and Eve did when they sinned. We don't have to hide from God when he walks in and says, where are you? We don't have to try to cover up our shame. But we can boldly go before the throne of grace and confess our sin. That helps us draw near to him. We can confess how we blew it with our children in anger or with our spouse. Or, or, or how we gossiped with another co-worker about another one to make ourselves look good or feel better. We can go to the Lord and confess that. Or maybe this one, we can confess how we withheld forgive from, uh, forgiveness from someone that hurt us just to make sure that they felt the weight of their sin that hurt you. You see, we can go because of our true faith. We can go with confidence that because of Christ and that he washed us our sins away, that we have access and that when we go, we can confess our sin without any pretense or, and with sincerity. That's why I love Hebrews chapter 4. A lot of times people will ask me to pray for them, which is awesome. And, and usually I, 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 I will text them back or talk about, I will definitely lift your requests in, before the throne of grace. Or I'll, I'll pray for them and say, hey man, I just lifted you up before the throne of grace. Because Hebrews 4, 6 says this, that Jesus is our great high priest and that we can have confidence to come boldly before the throne of grace. You see, when you and I sin, Sometimes we can go back into our works righteousness. We can go back into our religiosity. And and this is what religion says when we sin. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. I don't want to go to my dad. I don't want to go to my father. I'm afraid. Because all I get from him is punishment. That's what religion says. But the gospel of grace, the throne of grace says this. I messed up. I sinned. I need to call my dad. He's the first place that we go to. 
This is what it means to draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, that we can confess our sin. We go directly to our Father in heaven when He's done that because of what Christ has done. And we know, as 1 John 1 says, that when we do this, when we confess our sin, our Daddy is faithful and just and will forgive us every time. He's not angry with us. He wants to hear from you. And this is how we draw near to Him. So we draw near with a true and genuine heart through the confession of our sins. Secondly, we draw... Uh, another way we draw near is through the exercising the spiritual disciplines. Exercising the spiritual disciplines is the disciplines of scripture meditation and reading, the studying, the, the, of prayer, of, of singing, of, of, of solitude, of giving, and, and there's more and more. And we implement these things on our own wiring and passion. So what kind of other behind a true, genuine heart, but how the Lord has wired you. How has He gifted me? The Lord has shaped and molded us all differently. Therefore, how I draw near to the Lord might look a little different than how you draw near to the Lord. We all use the same Bible. We all pray. We all sing. But how we do that might look differently for you and then for me. See, I, I, one of my favorite ways to draw near the Lord is, is through creation, is, is getting out in creation. I love to, to go on a hike. I love to get my fly rod and go up the river. Um, or just walking my dog around the neighborhood. And it's there where I have some of my greatest aha moments. Meditate on scripture, praying, thinking about ministry. It's in that atmosphere. That's the way the Lord has wired me. That's how I pursue and draw near to God with a true and genuine heart. Now for some of you, it might not be the mountains, but it might be a coffee shop and a journal. And that's great. For others, it might be something else. Here's the question you want to ask yourself this morning. The question is, what atmosphere stirs my affection for Jesus? What, what atmosphere draws my heart closer to Jesus? And it's in that area, in that circumstance, in that atmosphere in which you exercise the spiritual disciplines and you draw near to the Lord. And when we do that, something magical happens. Our hearts and our lives, they, they change. We see change. We, we become more like Jesus and not less like Jesus. It's called sanctification. We are growing into Christ. Practically, our faith is becoming more truer, more genuine, more pure. So we're drawing near to Him the way He has wired us in the, the means in which He has given us in the spiritual disciplines. Second Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, Beholding the glory of the Lord... We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. John Piper sums up this verse, says this, We become what we behold. I like to say is whatever we think and pursue as our highest treasure, that will be transformed into. So, so what are you beholding? What is your highest treasure? Because whatever that is, that's where you're going to put your time, your money, your resources in, and it's going to transform your life into whatever that treasure is. And what Second Corinthians is saying is when we draw near, when our highest treasure is the Lord, He changes us and we become more like Jesus. So, let's draw near to Him. Live in community with Jesus. Run, run towards Him. He is the, the open gate. He has torn the veil. He has paid the debt. So let us draw near with a sincere and true heart through the spiritual disciplines on how He's wired you, how He stirs your affections, and watch Him change your life. 
The second let us is, is found in verse 23, and we'll just briefly talk about this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Simply this is, is talking about that we cling to the confession that Jesus is greater. That he is the narrow gate. This is the confession that we build our life on. It's the rock. It's the foundation that we talked about last week. It's the rock of Jesus. The world tells us to cling to, to other things, success, money, spouse, career. The, it tells us the, the wide gate. And this is saying hold fast to the, to the narrow way that Jesus is greater. That's where we cling. That's the second let us. And then finally, the third let us, and this is we'll spend the remainder of our time, is found in verse 24. The first two, again, focus on our community vertically with Jesus and God the Father. Now he, he tells us to now look out horizontal. We, we now reach out and walk in community with one another, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you draw near, as the day is drawing near. I had a great quote that kind of sums up this verse that I want to share with you. And it kind of, kind of talks about this verse in a, in a negative way. It highlights it in a negative way. It says this, fellowship with Jesus should never be selfish. Fellowship or community with Jesus should never be selfish. How we say it around here, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. This is the person that says, I love Jesus, but I don't need his community. I love Jesus, but I don't need the church and is not involved in the rhythms of community. It's selfish. It's just me and Jesus, right? Think of Gollum and his ring, my precious. Next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're living in a cave just eating raw fish all by yourself, but you have your ring, Right? Or it could be the person who just attends a Sunday gathering once or twice a month but is not involved in any other aspect of the church. They are not known and they don't know anyone else. They just kind of come and go as they please. These are two dangerous misconceptions about what the church is. And a lot of people are doing that right now on Sunday morning across the globe. Across the globe. So instead, let me try to spin the, the negative. Fellowship with Jesus shouldn't be selfish, but the positive fellowship with Jesus is selfless. And is found serving others. And is found serving and walking through life with others. This is the encouraging command that we see in verses 24 and 25. It says that regular attendance in the Christian community is vital to your health and is vital to my health. And if we neglect it, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on on love, encouragement, and good works. I mean, we'll get a little taste of it because we have common grace, but every time we get together with Christian community, we feel love, encouragement, good works. Again, not perfectly, but the more consistent we get in that, the more we're going to experience these three truths. In general, Christians who are not, Christians who are consistently inconsistent in community, they struggle more. That's just my observation over the last 30 years that I've been a Christian is that they struggle more. They have less joy. Because they're not in community. As, a, as, a, as a contrasted to those that are, are in more regular community. They're around each other. They, they tend to have more joy. Even in the midst of, of tough circumstances. 
they, they tend to struggle less. Again, this is general because they're around Christian community. Why is that? Because that's the way God designed it to be around one another. I said, I've been, I've been, you know, I was saved about 30 years ago and, and, and been walking with the Lord since then. And, and I can say outside of meditating on the scriptures and the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit that the second greatest impact on my life as a Christian is, is, is you guys, is the Christian community that I've been around for the last 30 years. You, you, you guys have had the greatest impact on my life, on my wife's life, on our family life, on our family's life. You, you have stirred us up to love. You have encouraged us. You have, you have, you have compelled us to, to do more good because we, we look at you and see how you guys are informed by God's word. You're empowered by his spirit and how you're following him. And, and, and your testimony stirs up us, stirs up me. That word stirs up means to stimulate or, or, to irritate even. To irritate. Again, you guys have stirred my mind and heart to, to love more. Uh, to be a better pastor. To have more compassion. Because I see how you show it to me and how you show it to others. Encouraging. You can ask my wife. I'm not the most encouraging dude, right? With my background, the way I'm wired, it's like, this is what... It says to do, so go do it. And if you don't do it, why aren't you doing it like it says to go do it? But because of my wife and, and my kids and because of you guys, I've become a more soft-hearted, tender encourager. We need each other. Community is crucial. And it will define you. It will shape you. It will mold you probably outside of God's Word and His Spirit more than anything else. But here's the key. The key to stir one another up if you're going to stir me up, if I'm going to stir you up, if you're going to stimulate me, if I'm going to stimulate you to love and encouragement and good works, that means we got to be around each other consistently. Because as we're around each other consistently, you're getting to know me, you're getting to know my strengths, my weaknesses, I'm getting to know you, I'm getting to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And that's where we can really come together and consider how to stir Aaron up. So if you consider and you're around me how to stir Aaron up, you know you're not going to say, hey, Aaron, let's go to the library, you know? Because I'll be like, no. <laughs> but if you say, hey, Aaron, let's go for a hike. Hey, Aaron, grab your flower. Let's go. I'll be like, I'm all in. I'll change my whole schedule just to be with you and to go enjoy fellowship and enjoy community in that area. You see, in our world, the toughest battle is showing up, is it not? I mean, I think if we boil it all down and we ask ourselves, why are we, why are we, why can't we tend to be so inconsistent with things? It's because there's so many things that are vying for our time and our attention. And you see, our consistency isn't about have, not having enough time. There's enough time. There's enough time for all of us to do what we love, but it's choosing what is most important to us. It's choosing what we treasure the most. And as we draw near to the Lord, as we, as we meditate on the sense we have of what Christ has done for us and He's interceding for us, and, and, and as we meditate on drawing near to Him through confession and the spiritual disciplines, again, He changes our desires. He changes our hearts. All of a sudden, it's like, I want to be with those people. I want to go to Southern Gatherings. I want to go to Life Group. I want to be around them more. And not exclusively, but consistently. 
And this motivation, this desire is not going to come from a heart of leadership, like legalism, like this is what you should do. But it's going to come from a motivation of love and encouragement. Because we see how, how we need one another and how it spurs us on to love and good works. I love how one church bulletin read, it read this way. It says, next Sunday is going to be No Excuse Sunday. No Excuse Sunday. To make it possible for everyone to attend church next Sunday, we're going to do a couple things. One, we're going to put out cots in the sanctuary for those who say, Sunday is my only day I get to sleep in, right? We give away steel mill helmets for those who say, man, the building would collapse if I ever walked into a church. Blankets we'll give to those who say it's too cold in the sanctuary. Fans will be given to those who say it's too hot in the sanctuary. Earplugs will be given to those who say the music too loud in the sanctuary. I like this one. Scorecards will be provided for those who like to keep a list of all the hypocrites, right? One section of the sanctuary will be landscaped with real trees and grass for those who say they only find God in nature. Here's the best one. Finally, the sanctuary will be decorated half with Christmas poinsettias and half with Easter lilies for those who have never been to church without them. Right? 95% of the battle is just showing up, is it not? And when we show up again, something special happens. Whether we recognize it or not. I mean, I I was just thinking, we're, we're... we sit in the front row and we're singing these songs. When, when we show up and our voices are, are singing, whether they're good or bad, they all sound good to the Lord. And, and our souls are stirred up with affection. They're, they're stored up with joy and gladness. I mean, we're singing these songs of truth and, and singing what the Lord has done for you and for me, and it's encouraging to one another. And, 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 our, and our, I don't know about you, but every Sunday my, my soul is stirred up when I hear all of us singing. It sounds so, so awesome. When the scriptures are read or where it's preached, our souls are grounded together on the truths of scripture. Uh, we, we unite around the gospel. It's the foundation which we all build our lives on. That we encourage one another on, rebuke one another on. And the whole, the whole focus, the whole goal, we're all, all unified, attaining one goal, and that's to glorify God in our lives, in our words and deeds. And not only that, but then the, to do good to one another and to encourage one another with God's word and to, to then share the gospel that, that does not know and isn't a part of that community yet. And then we take the Lord's Supper. Man, if that's not special to you, because it's a reminder of the greatest love that was ever, ever given. The greatest sacrifice that was ever made. That God in perfect holiness became a man. And dwelt among sinners like you and me. And he lived the perfect life in in your place and my place. And he died on the cross for your sin and my sin. And it gives us access. There's no greater love. So when we take those elements together, it's just a reminder of the love of Christ. And how he cares and loves for you personally. And not only you personally, but for his church. Something special happens when we all come together and celebrate these great truths. Here at the Crossing, we have several ways to to live in community. 
And what we tell everyone you'll see in our belong class, if you go there, if you're visiting with us, is like there's two main pillars in which we say everyone must be involved in. That's Sunday gatherings and that's in life group. Those are, those are two kind of main pillars in which our rhythms of community revolve around. Now, hear me also. It's not like saying you can't, you know, obviously there's going to be times where we miss. We're going to take vacations and do uh, other things like that. that. That's okay. But when you're here in Fort Collins, you, you, you're involved. You come, you, you mark out Sundays are pretty easy for you to mark out, but you like, you mark out in your calendar life groups. I need to be with God's people. And you don't let anything infringe on that unless it's, you know, a, a necessity. You, 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 you guard that. You guard that. So Sunday gatherings in life group. And then, you know, then we have uh, journey groups. Those are our smaller discipleship groups. And, and we have ladies of the crossing and, and, and Titus two, uh, or G2 ministries for the, for the ladies. We have man school for the guys. Um, we have Sunday seminars that are going to come up. So we have plenty of opportunities for you to, to be involved. And so be involved. Show up in community. So as we go through this, let us be a church who passionately lives in community and has that desire and fights the urge to be isolated, fights the urge to be a lone ranger Christian. And so when we come together, let us be also, when we get here, let's, let's be intentional in one another's lives and, and encourage one another and, and stir up love and good works with one another. And it's all motivated for what Christ has done for us. Again, He shed His blood for us. Therefore, we have access to communion, not only first and foremost with God the Father, but then with one another. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these verses. They're short, they're sweet, but there's so much in them. And we just ask that, again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of us have failed and stumbled with the community peace, but, but today is a new day. Today is a new day, and, and, and let us begin afresh. So for those new and are thinking about joining the crossing, Lord, let them, again, hear our heart that, that we want them here on Sunday so we can love and, and encourage them, but they also can love and encourage us. And then to, to find a group uh, during the week in our life groups to walk through at a, a smaller level with the highs, the lows, the ups and downs of living in a genesis through we need each other. And so, Lord, may everyone in here and those that aren't here are on vacation when they come back, may they hear this message and be all in because we know it's there where your blessing lies and where we'll be shaped and molded and where we can draw near to you. And as we do that, you will, you will help us become more transformed in the image of Christ and therefore be more effective in our circles of influence, showing the love of Christ and the the mercy of Christ and the grace of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.